0: This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links, and our wonderful patrons over at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. Welcome to The Tome Book Club for November of 2017. The Tome is a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley.
1: And I'm Jeff Greiner, and in each book club episode, we discuss one D&D-related book. Spoilers be damned in full book club style. And our book this time around is *Anansi Boys* by Neil Gaiman.
0: And with us in this episode, as always, is Eric Paquette.
1: Hello, folks. How are you guys doing? Who we remembered to introduce? Because we sometimes forget to tell him it's okay to talk.
0: <laughs> you're you're <laughs> welcome, Eric.
2: No problem. <laughs>
0: Next month, uh, we'll be reading the book *The Bear and the Nightingale* by Katherine Arden. We're set to finish at the end of January. You may have noticed we've pushed the two month cycle a month to get us the schedule that doesn't conflict with things like, say, the holiday season. So please feel free to read the book. However, uh, if you're ready for the discussion in the next next episode.
1: Before we talk about Anansi Boys, however, I want to talk about all of our great supporters, like the patrons over at patreoncom show. They're a super supportive crew. And in fact, they have helped us compile a list of possible books to read that we will be adding to uh, to the already existing list to start working into the rotation for future book clubs. So if you want to have that kind of influence in the things that we discuss and the topics that we go over, head over to patreon.com slash the Tome Show and support us like they do. I especially want to thank our new uh, patrons this time around, including Keith Bryan and Abraham Nimoy. A few new supporters this month that's always super exciting and it gets us a little bit closer to that that those big goals that we have one of which would result in in implementing a new yearly contest. I know Tracy loved it when we did contests. Woo! <laughs> contests are fun. Uh with the exception of doing the shipping part, because we are not a good distribution network. But uh, we, we get it done, and, it, and it, it, otherwise it's a good time, and it's always nice to hear uh, from people and get that kind of participation. So if we get to uh, enough sponsors on, or patrons over at patreon.com slash the Tome Show, then, then we can start to do stuff like that again. I also want to thank some of our longtime patrons like Steven Robertson, Leonard Peltier, Jeremiah McCoy, uh, Robert Aducci, Matt Bible, Doug Palmer, and Mark Richman. You guys are awesome. Thank you for the support.
0: Yay! So, should we start talking about the book for this month, Anansi Boys?
1: I think we should. So, Anansi Boys. Eric, you haven't had enough chances to talk yet. What's Anansi Boys about?
2: Basically, it's family reunions when you don't really know who you're inviting back to the party. But basically, it's about... Anansi would be the spider god... The African spider god who... This is part of the American Gods universe. Is it? So modern times but I mean is, is uh, then is it
1: part of the American Gods universe? Because I kind of like it, it kind of felt like it could be, but there's no like reference that I caught to the American Gods story.
0: Well, isn't he in it?
1: Yeah, Mr. Nancy is in American Gods. I mean an, the character of a is in American Gods, but the character of a is in is in you know, lots and lots of stories. Um, so I mean, I just figured it, it was always possible that Neil Gaiman wrote two books that f- featured the character of Nancy. like it it doesn't feel like it's inconsistent like i guess it doesn't i guess it doesn't really matter like it'cause it, there is a character in American
2: Gauls called charles uh well Mr Mr. Nancy,
1: right. No, I know, I know Anansi appears in, in American Gods, and I know the, he appear, appears in this book as well. I just wasn't, in, like, it's not entirely clear to me that it's actually a story in that same universe. Uh, but it doesn't really matter, because you don't need to know anything about either one of them to, to enjoy the other. Yeah. So. But, but yeah, no, it could. And, and, I, and yeah. I had the same thought as, we were, as, we were, as I was reading. I'm like, so this could easily be part of American Gods. Or not? I guess it doesn't. You know, it yeah. doesn't really play into it. So yeah.
2: officially, it's listed as being part of American Gods. Okay, but the only, the only connection really there is is the is the father of Charles Nancy.
1: Right. Who, early enough, dies. Yeah, I mean the the story kind of starts with, Anansi dies.
2: Yes. Nancy dies, which leads to uh, Charles, Nancy, better known as Fat Charlie, who's currently living in London, going back to Florida for the wake and funeral of his father, and then learning that he has a brother, and also learning that his dad was a god. Right. (laughs)
0: Little details.
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's I mean, it's a small little secret. And and it's interesting. You bring up the the fact that Char- Charlie Nancy is is referred to consistently through the entire book as Fat Charlie. Yes. Uh, which is interesting because you know, and they describe him whatever, and and he's you know he's maybe a little pudgy or whatever, but he's not actually like fat, right? He's not what you would typically consider to be that overweight that you would name nickname the guy Fat Charlie, right? Yeah, um, I think I think he
2: was fat when he was a kid. Yeah,
1: something like that. And it just stuck.
2: Yeah, but his father basically named it. and when his father names something, it sticks.
1: Right. Well, and and that, to my mind, that it was interesting because one that that gives us some insight into into Anansi, right, and and. What kind of a you know right bastard he can be, you know, uncaring about his own kid, and and he, and that's how he's described by by Charlie uh, as a father, as you know, he was just a complete jerk to me all the time, um, wanting to wanting to toughen me up and what have you, and I believe that uh, I also understand that like there's a there's a perception going on, right? You're getting that that pers- perspective from Charlie himself, but it also was weird to me. That Fat Charlie was a nickname, but it was also the name used for the character by the narrator. Did, did you notice that? Yes.
0: Yeah, so, well, and I was even going to argue with you a little bit, because we don't, like, we kind of get from Charlie, but it's the narrator saying what Charlie thinks about his father.
1: Yeah, that's true. That That's absolutely true. But... Is a nancy like the is the idea that when a nancy gives you a nickname it sticks so strong that even the narrator would refer to that refer to him that way
2: or is it the fact that uh, since
1: Nancy is the of all the stories that the narrator actually is Anansi. I consider that as well. And, and that was the part where I started to grin. I'm like, oh, because like I got halfway through the book or so. And I'm like, why does the narrator keep referring to him as Fat Charlie? Like, that's not something that I would normally see a narrator in a story do. Um, that's really weird. And then I had the exact same thought, Eric. I'm like, oh, because Anansi is the teller of stories. And this is a story that's being told. So Anansi, who gave him the name Fat Charlie... Is the one telling the story: Yeah, even, even though you know, chapter one, he dies.: yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I interrupted your telling of the story. Go, keep oh, going Eric. Well, that's, that's fine. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so
2: he goes, learns that, uh, learns that he has a brother that he hasn't seen in a while, and apparently to, if he wants to speak to his brother, he has to speak to a spider. Mm-hmm. He does so, and so, as behold. His brother named Spider shows up and
1: doesn't want to leave. Right. His, yeah. his his brother sort of picked up the the right bastard genes from an auntie, right? Yes.
0: Well, and then there's brother in quotes. Sorry, if it's not too spoilery. That's right. Yeah, no,
1: well, yeah, we, we're gonna get there eventually, anyway, right? Well, yeah. That's remember, spoilers be damned. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah.
0: So and then we eventually find out that. Spider isn't really a brother; it's part of Fat Charlie, yeah. the the magical part that someone had taken out mm-hmm. of him because uh, Fat Charlie had broken one of the. It was like a black ball, a uh, crystal ball type thing.
1: Mm. Yeah, so so the the woman you know cast a curse or whatever on him and split him into two people, and all of the magic part of Fat Charlie because he's you know a demigod; his dad's a Nancy. Uh, all the magic part of Fat Charlie went into Spider, and he became a completely different person with a completely different life. And Fat Charlie just didn't even remember that he had a brother until the funeral when he kind of showed up and he saw him in the crowd. He's like, hey, that guy's kind of familiar. And then moved on, and then somebody else told him who he was and what was going on. Uh, but yeah, so it isn't until later, much later in the book, towards the end, that you actually discover that Spider is actually Fat Charlie's. Um, other half not actually his brother um, but for most of the book it's just his brother who's a complete jerk who completely encroaches in his life who actually like um, pretends to be him and goes to his work and gets him in trouble who steals his fi- with- steals his fiance. what are you gonna say to just,
0: he doesn't just steal her he sleeps with her
1: oh yeah and 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 you know I go you go through a lot of the the story and it's like man I really hope that guy gets his comeuppance except that guy is the main character who you feel for sort of and he doesn't really get his comeuppance and there's nothing that Fat Charlie can do about to get rid of him except you know eventually convince him that he doesn't want to be there and by then uh spider has like ruined his life kind of before that
2: He tries several things, and one of the things he does try, Charlie, is go to the magical realm with all the Mm -hmm. other African gods to try to get some of them to interfere. Was it only African gods or just other gods in general? Just from the description of them, it it felt like it was African gods.
1: Because that would that would have been an opportunity to to really solidify the connection with American gods, right? Is having some of the other gods mixed in there too? But
2: yeah,
1: okay. Because it was it was lion, elephant, hyena. Yeah, it was sort of I, I sort of saw it as sort of the 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 realm of the animal gods, I guess, um, which could be African. Of course, there's other animal gods from other other religions as well, but. I guess they, they only just sort of keep noting them as animals, not as specific named gods, do they?
2: Yeah. They did not specify okay. other than saying the elephant and all that. So.
1: Right. I mean, the elephant god is probably Af- from Africa. but Yeah. Because <laughs> there was also tiger, monkey. Mm. See, but see, tigers aren't native to Africa. so So animal gods. Okay. Yeah. But yes, but all of
2: them are refusing because Nancy mess with mess with them in their past, and he, he just don't want to deal with him.
1: Right, because he was a trickster god, and eventually, at some point in his life, over the thousands of years, he was a jerk to all of them.
2: Yeah, till get to one of them, which was the Bird Woman, right. who was not afraid, and Fat Charlie makes a deal with her to get rid of. Fat Charlie. She wants the whole bloodline to get rid of spiders. Huh? To get rid of spider.
1: You said. Yeah, to get, get rid, rid
2: of spider. Yeah. Yes. Uh, she wants the whole bloodline of An- Anansi. He agrees, and then birds start attacking. Not just spider, but
1: also Fat Charlie. Yeah, that seems like a weird, like that was one of those those moments where I'm like. Fat Charlie hasn't been like stupid at all through the entire book, but that was a really dumb choice. Like, w- what on earth did he think would would it mean that she wants the bloodline of her of his dad? Like, of course that means him too. <laughs> you know, I I understand that like the story doesn't progress without that, but like that was not a choice that that made sense to me. In you know, in the whole thing. Well. It, probably,
2: it showed to me it showed a bit how much pissed off that fetchally was of spider that he was so pissed off that he was blind to what decision he was making
0: we're we're told multiple times from the narrator that fetchally hasn't always made the best decisions anyway which right? like is,
1: which dad... of course makes even more sense if if the narrator is his dad
0: <laughs> yeah
1: it's just dad being critical again cuz I don't know that we saw that a lot actually in the story up to that point. Like I didn't see Fat Charlie oftentimes making choices that poor. You know?
0: Uh, I mean, he gives the guy his password, his boss's password to his computer after Uh-oh. he suddenly <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Said, "Here, here's enough money to go, you know, take two weeks vacation, and here's a little here's a little pocket change." Right. Oh yeah, by the way, what's your password?
2: Right. And he just gives it to I, I, I was like, what? <laughs> he is the boss. He probably could get IT or admins to basically go get access to
1: those files. Right. Well, and I figured that's why Fat Charlie gave it up so easy. He's like, oh, well, he could get it if he wanted to anyway. But, yeah. Okay. So, so he goes to the bird woman. Uh, he gets a feather. Um, he exchanges. Even though he was told not to accept anything, he, he takes a feather for the deal. To And the birds start attacking him and spider
2: yeah, no indication of Fat Charlie's lack of thought is when he first met uh, Rosie's his fiance's mother, and he mm. took a bite of the wax uh, fruit.
1: I suppose it's it, it's it's a minor one, but right. still. Yeah, I guess it it sets him up as being a little bit dense, right? Yeah. So
0: and he tells her that uh, he offers her wax like. I forget exactly if it was offers her or tells her there's no wax fruit in the kitchen when she visits the flat. Like, he also just harps on himself over that stuff, too, like, Mm -hmm. that he makes uh, bad decisions.
2: Yeah, he naturally always felt like he was a guy with not much confidence in himself.
1: Oh, that that I got, yeah. He definitely didn't feel very confident. Yeah, which, while Spider
2: was very confident in all that. Right. But that was his mirror and all that. Which, at the end, that's what when both of them reveal that is both of them are the same person, but just split up. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, it, that makes sense. But yeah, she gives him a fetter. In the meantime, when he comes back, uh, Fat Charlie gets arrested.
1: Yeah, because there's this other sort of B storyline about the, the boss who asked for the password. And it turns out the boss was like super corrupt and embezzling money and all kinds of stuff. And and Spider had figured it out while he was – or stumbled into it while he was posing as Fat Charlie and, and got him in trouble at work, which is why he got the, the paid vacation and all that kind of stuff oh. as the boss is trying to get rid of him and deal with it.
2: The boss, at one point from one of the clients, he kills her off. And there's this investigation in regards to the embezzlement and also of the murder – which leads to Fat Charlie being arrested.
1: Right. And, and the policewoman who ends up arresting him is one of the women that Spider had brought back to the apartment previously. So Fat Charlie already knew her. Uh, and she already knew not just Fat Charlie, but, but Spider as well. So she was already kind of aware that there was some weirdness going on.
2: Yeah. She had slept over at his, at Fat Charlie's place after their night of wine, woman, and soul.
1: Right. Which is not unimportant, because she sticks around as a character.
2: Yes. She's the policewoman that investigates the embezzlement and the fraud. And near the end, after investigating and talking to Fat Charlie, lets him go because they don't believe that she, he's the one that did anything. And then he, uh, while trying to find uh, the fetter, basically needs to f- find Mrs. Hagler who's the one the friend from Florida, friend ca- of the family. Who was
1: the one casting the spells and sending him to the magic realm and all that.
2: Yeah. Mrs. Taylor was, was the, she's one of the four women that Three. was part of doing the spell. Which, when they sent
1: Fat Charlie to the other realm, I just loved that scene. Mm. You know, with- all the ladies bringing stuff. And the way they did the magic and how it all came together. Like, the specific ingredients didn't matter, but the, the things that were represented did and all that. That was cool. Yep. Yeah.
0: Penguin candles.
1: Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, he's got to right. hunt her down. And she has left Florida, right?
0: Yeah, she has left Florida, and
2: she's in St. Andrews. Right. Which apparently has lots of Higglers.
1: <laughs> yeah. Which then, is which is her home, right? She's originally from St. Yeah. Andrews.
0: Yeah. And we might want to pause that storyline to talk right. about after uh, Spider and Rosie get together, uh, there eventually is a bit of a fight. Mm-hmm. And Rosie breaks off the engagement to them.
1: Right, because <laughs> yes. she actually thinks that Spider is Fat Charlie uh, That for that time. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. And then her mother, who never liked Fat, Fat Charlie anyway... Said, let's go on to a let's go on a cruise to the Caribbean.
1: Right, and so they end up in in what, what was it, Saint Andrews? Saint Andrews. Yeah. yeah. So they end up in Saint Andrews as well, and then uh, on the other storyline about the the embezzling boss,
0: yeah. uh, he's run oh, away
1: right. to to a country with, that does not have an extradition treaty back to England, so that he can't be prosecuted. Uh, and it's how so just so happens he ha- happens to be hanging out in a in a previously arranged uh, alternative identity where he already has a house and everything in St. Andrews, um, which is where then the police officer woman ends up deciding to uh, take some vacation time to go independently hunt him down. Um, So we have everybody sort of converging on this Caribbean Island. Well, yeah, so Rosie and
2: her mom actually meet up with Graham Coates, who that's the boss. Yeah. The boss who gets paranoid about the situation thinking they were sent by Fat Charlie,
1: invites them to his place, and imprisons them. Yeah, he like kidnaps him and and sticks him in the basement in sort of like the stereotype, you know, women who've been trapped in, in a basement cell for years sort of situation, right? So they're they're kind of imprisoned in the basement while while Graham Coates the boss and he's got a different name on the island because again it's a different identity is sort of getting paranoid and hanging on to them and whatever and then Fat Charlie's there and he's looking all over the place for Mrs Higler, and he gets a bike and he starts riding all over the place and knocking on like every door he can find in in the island it's not a huge island and he's like well eventually I'll have to off to find somebody who knows where she is or find her or whatever. Uh and he ends up knocking on the door of Graham Coates' house and nobody comes to the door and whatever, so he just rides on and then a, a car tries to run him down or whatever, because of course it's Graham Coates who thinks now, you know, Fat Charlie sent his fiance and her mother to check out what's going on, and now he's here himself. Like clearly he knows something and and he's gonna you know, he's gonna get me in trouble.
2: In the meantime well uh oh, Graham- and,
1: and what's happened to Spider at that point? He he's in the in the realm of the gods, right?
2: Yes. He's trying to meet up with the bird woman, trying to deal with her Mm -hmm. from her attack, avoiding her.
1: Yeah, so he's trying to figure out where she is, but he doesn't encounter her. He instead encounters Tiger. Yes. And and Tiger has sort of manipulated a bunch of this from the get-go because Tiger's really out for revenge against Anansi, except, of course, Anansi's dead, so he's hard to get to. Um, uh, so he's taking it out on Anansi's kids and, yeah. like, stakes t- uh, spider to the ground and, uh, what, what does he do? Does he cut out one of his eyes or something? I remember he maims yeah. him in some way.
0: Oh, I forget how, but the, did you talk about him losing his tongue?
1: Oh, that's what it was, the tongue.
0: But yeah. Bird Woman took that before, that's uh, be- before Tiger gets to him.
1: Yeah. Because because Spider's power lies in his tongue, right? He In his ability to speak. Because he can tell people things and and they just inherently believe it. That's sort of his magic. Yes. So by like, taking out his tongue, you take away his power. And then he's, yeah, he's staked to the ground and, and in all kinds of trouble.
2: Because Tiger basically is doing this because, as you said, Anansi delved in the past. Originally they say that all the stories were tigers mm-hmm. until Nazi took them from Tiger.
1: Yeah, Nazi, like, tricked him into giving him up or whatever. Yeah. In, in you know, typical trickster god fashion. And so, uh, was it, Spider, like, creates a fake spider. Like, he what is it that he gets? He gets a a bunch of, was it twigs or something? And he kind of makes it into a vague spidery shape as much as he can with one hand staked, you know, staked down to the ground.
0: So it was like uh, and, clay and blood and something else. Yeah,
1: that's what it was. Yeah, and so he kind of, sort of makes an ugly-looking spider sculpture, but it's, it's 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 real enough to sort of breathe life into it and send it out for help.
0: Yeah, it had only seven legs. Yeah, uh, right. and he sends it out for help, uh, and then he eventually gets hit himself unstaked from the ground, mm-hmm. uh, and he offends off uh, tiger strikes. Right.
1: And then is this... Th- does help come at this point? I'm trying to remember when when help that's comes.
0: It, I mean, a lot of stuff's probably, like, in the... It's different chapters, but it's probably all really happening at once. Yeah,
1: no. Yeah. I, we're we're so kind of breaking it up in our own way, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so eventually the spider he created comes back with uh, lots of spiders mm. of all types. Uh, some poisonous and everything. And, and they keep uh, tiger at bay mm-hmm uh, while in the meantime, uh, Charlie has now found the bird lady and given back the feather uh, in exchange for Nazi's bloodline again
1: right so he's got the blood the, the bird woman off of his, off of their back um, and he
0: has spider's tongue again:
1: Oh okay, yeah, but we're still dealing with the The fact that that Rosie, the fiancé, and her mother are are locked up in the basement of Graham Coates. And in fact, Tiger starts sort of channeling himself through Graham Coates.
0: And he was even uh, kind of there in the shadows before that, uh, because both Rosie and her her mother feel a presence in the darkness. And then... It was something that I, I, I think I missed a little bit just because the other stuff's happening, but it was kind of like this weird thing where Graham Coates goes down there, he has some knives and stuff, and he ends up hurting himself. Mm. Uh, and that's when Tiger offers him the uh, chance that Tiger could come into his body and give him a lot of ability right. if he'll help him.
1: And that'll that'll give... Graham Coates, uh, the ability to sort of get these threats off of his back and, and solidify his new life and all of that. And so Graham Coates is kind of on board. Uh, and so, yeah, so you end up, uh, you know, it, what the spiders were sent by Anansi, right, to to save Spider. Am I remembering that right? Yeah. So it turns out Anansi, who died in the beginning, you know, is dead. But when you're a god, dying is more like just taking a long nap, right? Uh, that he was still he was still kind of conscious of what was going on. He was kind of just sort of in his grave or hanging out in the in the realm of the gods and and being dead for a while and kind of being absent yeah. from the world. But he yeah. he comes back to save Spider.
0: Well, and Charlie gets it meets him too. Yeah, yeah. and he gets his hat.
1: That's right, because Charlie gets that hat the 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 that crazy hat that his dad used to wear that he he then sort of wears through the rest of the story. Right. Yeah, and sort of like in the epilogue just continues to wear for the rest of his life.
2: Because yeah, there was on um, one point also non-see was meeting up with the ghost of the of, of Maeve, the, oh. the woman who passed away.
1: Yeah, because that storyline comes here too, doesn't it? Uh, the yes. the the client who was murdered by Graham Coates sort of wanders around as another storyline as a ghost and herself ends up going to to the island.
0: Yes and she even ends up At Graham Coates' house, Mm -hmm. and because Graham Coates has now uh, allowed himself to be possessed by Tiger, he is now part immaterial? I think that was the word they used. So
1: he, like, sort of semi-exists in the spirit realm or whatever.
0: Right, which now means that Maeve can attack Graham Coates.
1: Right, which is what she wants to do, right? She's there for revenge. She has the opportunity to move on to the afterlife. And she said, no, I feel like I still got something going on here. I I gotta see this through. Uh, And get revenge on on Graham Coates, who was kind of stealing her money and murdered her.
0: Right. And then while all of this spirit and other world stuff is happening, police lady Daisy has convinced the local police finally to show up at Graham Coates' uh, mansion or whatever.
1: And people may and, note that we keep saying Graham Coates together because, much like Fat Charlie, that's a thing that happens in the story, right? <laughs> he he becomes he's never he's never Graham. He's not Mister Coates. He's always Graham Coates. Yes. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> and uh, and she shows up with the police just in time um, after uh, Tiger has attacked Daisy, uh, not the uh, Rosie's mother, and then in the ghost Lady Maeve has attacked. Graham Coates
1: right
0: the police walk in then
1: and so yeah so things sort of converge in, in such a way that uh both Graham Coates and Tiger are defeated the Rosie and her mother escape and and everybody kind of gets there happily ever after right
0: I yeah mean, well so there's one last part oh yeah and that's and that's when so uh after the attack by Tiger slash Graham Coates uh, the, uh, Rosie's mother is not in a great shape. They think that she might not live. And Charlie remembers that his father had done something to save his mother for a while. Oh, mm-hmm. And so he thinks about it and thinks it has to be, like... tries says, like, well, maybe if I can go to the spirit world, we can get, you know, something that will save Rosie's mom. Mm-hmm. And they end up going, and he almo- they almost fail in their mission and then they realize they have to sing a song and so fat charlie sings the best song ever apparently right <laughs> uh telling the whole tale mm-hmm.
1: yeah so uh, so music is kind of a big deal for for fat charlie and kind of becomes his magic right right
0: because
1: it, it, it was the, it was always like this it was and it was alluded to earlier in the book several times that like he doesn't like to get up in front of a crowd and sing, but he's actually a really good singer. And when he does, he kind of loses himself uh, once or twice and, and uh, just sort of loses himself in the song and all that.
2: Also, Anansi at the start was also good at singing. So at the start, you actually saw that song's going to be a big proponent mm-hmm. in this uh, book.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the big thing that happens during the song is that Tiger like, tried, uh, roars at some point and mm-hmm. Charlie mocks him mm-hmm. and such that uh, whenever people hear or whatever those uh the spirit creatures hear tiger roar after that they always hear the mocking part too right and so, so tiger retreats joke. right and so tiger retreats to his cave spider collapses it uh and then we find out later that uh grabcoats has become i guess it's called a stoat okay uh and now they're – until Tiger can figure out how to get out of his collapsed cave, those two are together.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then everybody sort of gets there happily ever after, right? Um, right. If I recall, Fat Charlie ends up with the policewoman.
2: With Daisy. Yes.
1: Yeah, with Daisy. Um, um, and And Spider ends up with Rosie. Do I remember that right? Yes. Okay. So they never quite get they never get rejoined again, but they sort of come to to, to terms with with who they are separately and their separate lives. And and Fat Charlie kind of comes into his own and and learns his own magic and and becomes confident, even though the confidence confidence side of him had been stripped out and be, and became a spider.
2: Right.
1: The and yeah. everybody lived happily ever after, except you know Tiger and Graham Coates because forget those guys.
0: Well, and Rosie's mom still doesn't like them.
1: <laughs> sure, sure. Rosie's mom's still kind of a jerk. Got it. <laughs> Rosie's mom was always very stubborn. Right. Cool. So, so um, out of curiosity, you know, we always say that we, when we were looking at book club books, we're looking at books that might be of interest to the D and D crowd. So, uh, in what way do you think this book might be of interest to our D and D audience?
0: Well, it's a good example of dropping hints a lot. Mm. I feel like there was a ton of foreshadowing. I actually kind of guessed that they were part of the same person instead of being true, quote unquote, brothers. brothers.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, they meant there's several hints. Well, one big hint is the fact that people mistake Spider for Fat Charlie, but there's also part halfway true to the story. Where Spider mentioned, and he has the same memory of destroying mm-hmm. that bubble of. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, they, yeah, they do lay out some few hints here and there, and foreshadow. But, but it's
1: not—it's not just that element that's foreshadowed. Like the singing is foreshadowed, a Nancy being sort of around is foreshadowed. If—if if nothing else in the narration. Um, you know, there's a lot of foreshadowing for every sort of twist and turn and reveal. There's lots of sort of hints leading up to it before it actually happens. In terms of in terms of constructing a story, uh, you know, that's something to to be taken for for D and D audience, right? Yeah,
2: entertaining for D and D audience is a good way of doing a story and an adventure and engaging folks while having deities and gods that meddle with stuff. Mm.
1: Yeah, I was going to say the Which same thing. It's a nice example of, of meddlesome gods. American Gods has the same sort of um, shtick, right? Um, you can read American Gods and get a lot of inspiration towards sort of, of, of how your gods might meddle in your world. Yeah, and I, I also particularly like the ideas behind um, – the, like the magic you, we talked about, right, that – that spell that they cast with the four women, and and how the specific spell components weren't really important, but it was what those different spell components sort of represented, um, you know, the the earth of a certain place or what you know, the, and that kind of stuff. Um, gives you know, that's an interesting little twist of something you could do with spellcasting in a game as well. And of course, Neil Gaiman generally is is a pretty good high interest book. I hope for the D anD D crowd, right? Because Neil Gaiman is known for being Particularly of interest to the geek crowd, uh, you know th- uh, that that are likely to be gamers, and you know he also writes things like Doctor Who and comic books and that kind of stuff sometimes too. So he, there's some overlap there, I think.
0: Yeah, and I thought it would, the thing that I couldn't quite figure out from the book was did those magical components were they actually necessary, or was it just that they needed to build up Fat Charlie's confidence? Because <laughs> Eventually, it's really, like, him doing most of it, like, when he gets beamed up to the mothership. Mm. Yeah, I, feel I, can,
1: I mean, I can see that. I, but I also, I, like, I mean, I like the idea of, like, these symbolic components as well.
0: Oh, um, totally, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So, so I, don't, I don't know if it was all Fat Charlie and they were just building up his confidence, but I don't know. I guess maybe they would have known to do that because they knew that he was a demigod and just didn't know it because they're yeah. the ones who split him up. Well, I think, I'm wondering
2: if it's them needing those initial components because since they had fractured and removed his magic, mm-hmm. this basically opened up the key for him to do his own magic for to later on. It again. But he was not strong enough right now, nor did he know enough. Mm-hmm.
1: So they needed a little jump jump start. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's any uh, parallel between the, the four women... And, and sort of the, you know, other mythology, like the Weird Sisters or the Fates or, you know, the Hag Coven or any of that? The
2: Horseman.
1: The Horseman? I, mean, oh. I mean, and, I, and yeah. I'm drawing allusions from Western culture, and this is not based in Western culture, um, but it seems like there were some interesting parallels, because sometimes you find in myths from different cultures that there are things, there are some universal themes that pop up here and there, even if they've, they've never directly interacted so I didn't know if anybody had the same sort of thought. Well, they even
2: mentioned in the book, from my recall, about that length and it, the way they were doing it. It was like a scene. I think they he described it from a scene from Tempest or something like that oh. for
1: Shakespeare or so. So so an allusion to the Weird Sisters, which I guess makes sense yeah. for Gaiman who's also British, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I know we talked about the of interest to the D.D. crowd, and I think overall it was a good idea to have so many threads, but I think anybody listening to the podcast will hear that it's a complicated <laughs> book.
1: <laughs> I mean, it, it isn't. It is, like, I've read books that are much harder to follow than this. Um, oh, yeah. No, no, no.
0: Just in terms of like, but just in terms of how many things are going on. And it, it's kind of like a railroad because everyone ends up in the same space.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's effectively, f- what, four stories, basically. There's four different threads at any given time. Um, you know, it doesn't get much more complicated than that, and, and I've certainly read a lot of fantasy novels, even D&D novels, that get way more f- splintered. Um, I, am, oh, I, I am of the sort of person and the sort of reader that has a really hard time following stories when they, when they splinter a lot. Um, it's one of the reasons I love, like, teen or young, young adult fiction, right? Um, because I prefer having only a handful of points of view, and that's one of the sort of rules of that genre, um, and and you get lots of points of view, but at any given time, there's only like three or four storylines going on. So um, I don't know. I found it. I yeah. I didn't. Yeah. I, I it, it's.
0: Yeah, I I didn't mean it complicated in terms necessarily of like the total number of perspectives. Just more uh, all the little references.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it is an an interesting way of like. I could see structuring a DD uh, adventure sort of like this and having that sort of unbelievable moment of, wait a minute, how is it that the party and like every NPC they've met for the last six months all ended up in the same place at the same time for the big climax. Uh, but then you can sort of backfill the story of how they interacted with each other to get there. Um, you know, and I could see, um, you know, if Fat Charlie and Spider are the party in this situation and not knowing all that other stuff, kind of buying that the rest of that stuff happened because of the way it played out
2: well if we go with the, the idea that the narrator is nancy, mm. thus he was manipulating the story you could say that the narrator was the, the DM sure <laughs> who's basically manipulating the story of where to go here's where the next set piece it is
1: mm-hmm. yeah kind of, kind of putting them all on, on, on their paths Cool. Well, any last thoughts then? Should we wrap up our conversation on Anansi Boys?
0: Well, I think there was two things I was gonna. I would say um, one, the listening to the audible book. Mm-hmm. I thought was pretty enjoyable. Yeah, I the really audible book was great. And they did put in a lot of. Uh, they put in music a lot of times between the chapters, and then having the narrator read the chapter titles, I often just laughed, because like the. Chapter titles, I think it's pretty common for Neil Gaiman books, and I know it definitely was true in Good Omens, which was him and Terry Pratchett, Hmm. but they kind of, like, give their own clues about what's going to happen or say something obvious or funny.
1: Yeah. It's things like, you know, Fat Charlie Gets a Lime. You know, is is it would be the kind of thing that becomes a book chapter, and you know, lo and behold, very early on, Fat Charlie gets a lime, and that lime is not important, but it keeps showing up through the story throughout that whole chapter, right? Uh, and it, yeah. is, it's just this weird and, thing, like he's got this lime, and people refer to him, oh, you're that guy with the lime, right?
0: And it was something like it was, I forget the exact title, but something like Fat Charlie comes to a lot of conclusions in nice. the the big. <laughs> The big reveal chapter at the mm-hmm. end, and there's sort
1: of a dry British humor to, to that kind of book chapter. Like, I don't think this is the old, I don't think Neil Gaiman or or this kind of book is the first time I've seen stuff like that in British oh. in British literature in modern British British literature. That seems like a, a Douglas Adams sort of thing to do as well. You know, that, that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, and it reminded me of a video game called The Cave, which is has has a lot of similar stuff to it too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other point I was going to say is talking, I know, I know there was some, we're not entirely sure if they're all African uh, gods or not, but we definitely know that Anansi is a West African mm-hmm. uh, god. And so I kind of struggled with it internally um, at times because on one hand, I, th- I know Neil Gaiman does a lot of research, it didn't feel overly exotic really, like it just was the way the world is. Mm-hmm. In terms of Anansi and, and the other gods that uh, Fat Charlie meets and stuff like that, but on the other hand, like I am trying to be cognizant of the fact that Neil Gaiman's a British author and colonialism and, mm-hmm. and all of that other stuff too.
1: Mm-hmm. No, and that's that's all in there. Like the, I I love the fact that this is a story that is exploring a non Western mythology. Uh, and, get, and and attempting to give a more diverse perspective because so much of fantasy literature is is rooted in this Western uh, tradition. Um, so I really enjoyed that. But yeah, I was I was simultaneously also conscious of the fact that it's a British guy who's done a bunch of research, but still a British guy telling the story, uh, telling a, a an African mythology based story, and and he kind of. Gets around to that a bit because because the main character Fat Charlie is American slash British himself, and so the fact that we're getting things largely from his perspective, or at least the narrator's idea of his perspective, kind of allows Neil Gaiman's um, his lens of being British slash American to to feel true to at least Fat Charlie's perspective. Of, of this experience with, with African culture and African mythology. Right.
0: And which is also kind of interesting in a way because the character of Fat Charlie is exploring African culture without necessarily having, like, he grew up with it but didn't. You're right. Because there's a lot of stuff he gets surprised about when he goes back and he uh, talks to Mrs. Hegler and the other, other people too. The other women. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of new information for him, even though he was kind of steeped in in that, uh, and it wasn't even really. I mean, I guess he was kind of steeped in African culture uh, growing up, but it's sort of uh, African culture as it evolved, uh, as it came to the Caribbean and then into the into mainland uh, North America, right? Um So it's not Africa. But- it's not the original African culture. It's sort of uh, an evolved African culture, as I understand it.
0: Right, but it's not even like his dad because one of the big stories is about how when he's talking about how awful his dad is, it's because his dad convinced him that in the U.S., uh, uh-huh. kids dress up on President's Day as the as the best president, mm-hmm. and your yeah. entire social structure is based on whether or not you pick the right president.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> which so- has like you, you have the like this guy that's the West African god. Of story and the stories aren't West African or African stories. Uh-huh. They're presidents of the United States.
1: Right. Well, and and that's I, that's more I think of 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 Gaiman trying to reveal uh, his dad as being a trickster, right? Because that's right. that's totally a trickster. <laughs> if I was a trickster dad, I guess that's how I w- that, that's how I would merge like dad humor and being a trickster god, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so what, I, you guys don't dress up as your favorite presidents. Well, I mean, I do, but I'm a social studies teacher, so okay. <laughs> I don't know if Tracy dresses up as her favorite president.
0: Maybe first lady. I don't know. Okay. <laughs>
1: yeah, I usually I usually go as a future president, i.e., myself. So I'm covered that go. way. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, so I, yeah, I, I agree. I, I thought it was an interesting but also um, an interesting take on a different sort of mythology and exploring sort of a fantasy story through that lens, but also making myself very cognizant of the fact of who was telling that story and the perspective that he was using. I, and you also mentioned how well researched or how much research he does. And it occurred to me several times in in as reading as I'm reading the last part of the book, I'm like, did he have this all round up and end in in uh, St. Andrews because he wanted to justify a vacation for, as work research? <laughs> like he could have had this whole thing wrap up in Minnesota too, and that would have worked in the story just as well. There's no reason it had to be in a tropical Caribbean island. I mean, I guess it kind of connects to the to the uh, Caribbean African culture, right? But.
0: Well, no extradition
1: treaty. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It just felt an awful lot like Neil Gaiman was was creating excuses to go on on tropical vacations, and write it off as a work expense.
0: Hey man,
1: if you can get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, if I can pull it off, I will. So, <laughs> I I just went on went to to what was it San Francisco on on um on on work uh, duties. So, anytime I can justify it, I'll do it. So very good.
2: Other thoughts? Anybody else? I like the how the magic was there, but it was very subtle too. Mm. At the same time, like the part where uh, Fat Charlie's trying to get back to his apartment, gets in a taxi. The taxi just has to turn the corner, but they're not spend a whole evening not getting to the apartment because mm-hmm. Spider is there with with Rosie and prevented it. So.
1: Yeah, it was it was always a a sort of subtle uh, magic. It wasn't super subtle. I mean, I've seen books where you know the fact that magic exists at all is a little bit surprising, and it almost never actually comes up in the story. But it, he wasn't throwing lightning bolts and, and fireballs either, right? Yeah. But I mean, yeah. he was creating like an extra dimensional Tardis like space within within Fat Charlie's apartment at one point. Yeah. Um, you know, he he did basically more or less teleport and and can cast charm at will, right? So yeah. um you know, he certainly there was certainly more magic in it than some other stories I've seen. I mean, arguably there's as much if not more magic in this than is evident in the early parts of American Gods where the, where the magic is is more understated. Sort of, sort of like the magic you're stating, but but the, you know the fact that he created a, a tardis-like little mini room with a you know, giant mini room inside of a small apartment uh, is a lot more ostentatious magic than, than I'm used to seeing in uh, American gods.: so. No, I
2: like that. It just flowed really well. Mm-hmm. And it, The magic was there, but you didn't see like the gestures or incantations or none like that. It just
1: happened.: Except when humans do it. When humans yes. did it, then there were incantations and and components and all that. It was when people were tapping into divine, you know, godly magic because they were demigods or gods that it just sort of happened. The world just sort of changed to suit their needs, which is a, a fun way to think about the use of magic for you know for our D anD D players, right? Uh, is that it's not as much. Like you're manipulating energies and forces so much as you change the, na- you, you momentarily bend the nature of reality to make, make things happen. It reminds me a little bit of the way the magic system worked in um, the old World of Darkness um, books for, um, what was it, Mage, Mage the whatever it is. I Mage the ascension the ascension yeah so so i managed to pick up the 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 first run of Mage to the ascension before it went out of print on a, at a, like a silent auction at a convention in iowa or something uh, and that's how magic sort of functions in in that game in the world of darkness is that you know it's it's subtle manipulation of the realities of the world it's you know the cap on that steam pipe pops off at just the right time and so it doesn't seem so horribly unrealistic and magic can do big things but then like reality snaps back and punishes you for really messing with it where so yeah. if you can just subtly manipulate reality it's a lot more effective than just you know throwing fireballs
2: yeah. also in mage uh, technology is also a form of magic that has been so recognized by people mm-hmm. that's why it, reality has concreted itself around
1: technology is okay, Technology's okay. okay. You've you played some Mage, huh?
2: Yes, I've been uh, Mage Sorcerer Crusade, which is basically Mage during the Renaissance.
1: There, there is no uh, game system I can name that Eric Paquette has not played. Very few. <laughs> very good, very good. Alright, yeah. other, other thoughts? We're knocking on an hour so we should probably wrap up soon. If there's no other hey. thoughts...
0: Oh. All right, well, that's the end of our episode, so it's time to say goodbye. But before we do, we want to say thanks to Eric for joining us in this episode. Eric, where can people hear more from you?
2: They can find me easily on Twitter
1: at EricMpaq. Eric E-R-I-C-M-P-A-Q. We also want to thank everyone who supports us, like our patrons at patreon.com slash and those of you who shop at Amazon or DMs Guild, you get the exact same experience uh, going through our links over at thetomeshow.com. And we get a few coppers. And hey, I know, you know, uh, excuses to go shopping are always coming up. And, and you're not paying any more. And you're helping us out in the process. So check it out over at thetomeshow.com.
0: And if you'd like to contact us, you can send us an email at thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can call our bizline, 919biztome, it's 919b-i-z-t-o-m-e. You can find me on Twitter at SarahDarkMagic or at SarahDarkMagic.com. Jeff is at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H, or at thetomeshow on Twitter. And Eric, as he's already said, is at Eric M. Pack.
1: Uh, show notes and other great Tome Show shows can be found at thetomeshow.com as well as those affiliate links. And that's our thoughts on Anansi Boys by Neil Gaiman. Up next, reading it in December and January, back to our two-month cycle, and going into 2018, we'll be reading The Bear and the Nightingale by Catherine Arden. Until then, keep turning the page, Tomites!
0: I'm